this week's special Election Day 2020 episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by New Wave, who are bringing us Flow State Coffee, which is coffee blended with raw cacao and L-theanine. Now, what is L-theanine? I'll tell you. It's an amino acid that naturally reduces stress and anxiety. And if you can tell me with a straight face that this election cycle of 2020 has not caused you stress and anxiety, I will buy you a fucking car. I won't buy you a car. That was a lie. But I will look you in the eye and tell you that I don't believe you and that I think you're wrong. And you have been stressed out and anxiety riddled because of this election cycle. So let me help you. Let me help you get 10% off your first order of Flow State Coffee by going to newwave.co slash Berman. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash Berman. Now let me break it down for you. The coffee is good. It has the caffeine. You need the caffeine. You want it. You love the caffeine. And it's blended with a little bit of raw cacao, which adds a slight mocha flavor that is delicious. Now, this amino acid, L-theanine, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, but that's blended in there as well. And it works with the caffeine to get you to a nice level where you are running at optimal performance. And it's not just you, it's your fucking brain. It helps balance your brain waves to run at optimal performance so that you can get done what you need to get done, you can be creative, and you can go about your business without having the shakes and the jitters from too much caffeine and without feeling distracted and lethargic. Because, trust me, if you're a creative type, you know that being tired and being distracted are two of your worst enemies. So again, go to newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Get 10% off your first order of New Wave coffee. And let's start this special election day Berman Hour podcast. Let's go. Four years is enough. Four fucking years, and hopefully tonight will be the beginning of the end of this national nightmare with this fucking con man president. How's that for a podcast intro? Welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. My guest this week is Ethan Kelly, a tremendous young man who was a teen political correspondent for BuzzFeed. More importantly, he runs a tremendously successful YouTube channel called Let's Talk Elections, where he dives into data and dives deeper and deeper into more data to look at polls, when polls are right, when polls are wrong, on every level of American governance and within American politics. And he's actually the first two-time guest I've had on the Berman Hour podcast. So considering all of the success that he's had in all of his work, I'm sure the fact that he is a two-time guest on the Berman Hour podcast is probably somewhat near the top of all of his accolades. Not, right? Anyway, my conversation with Ethan is coming up. We wanted to keep it on the short side considering everything that's going to be going on today. And worst case scenario, if things go south, we want to make sure that we're not taking up too much space away from the safety of our citizenry and their ability to vote safely. I also want to take a second to thank everyone who has tuned in and listened to the Berman Hour so far. Please rate and review and share with a friend. Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts. That helps a lot. And also, in case you haven't noticed, there's a pandemic going on. And it has not been the easiest time to be a musician, an independent touring musician. 
But I do want to thank everyone that has listened and watched the video for the new Divided Heaven single. For those unaware, Divided Heaven is my band. We put out a new song called They Poisoned Our Fathers last week. And it's direct resistance to Trump, his enablers in Congress, and the Trumpers that support him. And we were very happy to put out quite a powerful protest song and even powerful protest lyric video for the song. And if you've checked it out, thank you very much. If you haven't yet, please do so. We're Divided Heaven on any streaming platform that you could find or use. Or you can go to at Divided Heaven across all social media platforms. Or if you're one of my parents and you really need it to be dumbed down, I'll gladly do it for you. DividedHeaven.com to hear the new single, They Poisoned Our Fathers. So thank everybody for that. Now, without much further ado, here's my conversation with Ethan Kelly from Let's Talk Elections. Let's get at it. Do you find yourself having flashbacks to election night 2016, the closer that we get to this Tuesday? So I actually kind of force myself to look at the 2016 election results pretty often. I, I watch the recordings of CNN's live coverage and I go through the results and I see when certain states were called. And honestly, uh, I, I'm kind of desensitized to it. It's not really a shock to me that Trump won after what I've seen mm-hmm. for the past four years. Obviously, it was a shock then, but uh, I wouldn't say I'm getting flashbacks. I, there's always that worry that what I'm saying and putting out will be wrong because obviously that would negatively reflect on me. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, politics is changing very quickly and the electoral map can shift dramatically in literally a day, as Hillary Clinton can tell you. So, you know, I don't really get flashbacks. I think that there's always that worry that what we're looking at now could be wrong, but it would just have to be so much more wrong than where it was 20- in 2016. So I'm a lot more confident about this election than I should have been four years ago. Yeah. Would you be able to put yourself somewhere on the spectrum if one end of the spectrum was absolute excitement and the other end of the spectrum was horrifying terror? <laughs> Where do you fall at this point? So, I would say I'm about even. Um, uh, I go to D.C. pretty often. And in Georgetown, I've been seeing they started like boarding up all of their um, stores because they're expecting, regardless of the election result, there to be something in D.C., Uh, And they're, in a sense, preparing for it. But I think that's sort of where a lot of America is and where I would put myself. I'm apprehensive about what the election results will ensue, regardless of uh, whoever wins. But I think that I'm pretty excited for Election Day. I've been counting down to it. And I have no reason to think that it should go away that wouldn't be favorable to America. Yeah. First of all, what's your relation with BuzzFeed? I actually just finished my job with them this week. Okay. Um, I worked like I was an employee from March through this month, and I worked as what they call like a teen ambassador. So I posted on their Instagram and TikTok pages like uh, forms of social media, uh, forms of news that would be approachable to Generation Z. That would be you know yeah. not just for people who generally go on to like the New York Times website. So. That's really what I did, and I made a, a bunch of videos for them, and that's pretty much what I did for the past six months. Yeah, from your perspective as as a young person, the people within your age group, do you feel like they're really engaged, even if they're not old enough to vote, or do you get a sense of of 
apathy? Where does it kind of fall from from your perspective, not just as somebody who runs Let's Talk Collections, which congratulations on getting verified on YouTube last week, by the way, Thank you. Uh, but also from from what you've done with BuzzFeed. Like, where, where does it land for you now in terms of how you see your brothers and sisters that are all your age? Well, a lot of people my age aren't exactly civically engaged, nor do they care about the news. They don't really focus too much but this election is different um generally when you think about young people and young voters they don't turn out at high rates the democratic primary saw a 19 percent turnout amongst the youth so that was always an issue for uh, a lot of candidates from the start that young voters really don't vote and they really don't care but as a high school student and someone who has seen my friends register to vote get out to vote because i can't vote um, a lot of them are much more involved than they would have been if this election was a little bit different. You know, the whole issues of Black Lives Matter and just a number of other things that are impacting the U.S. have really risen up my generation to actually take a stand for something. Um, and I think that it's pretty inspirational to see people around me, people at my school, getting people registered to vote, you know, phone banking, text banking, do whatever, doing whatever they can to ensure that certain policies are enacted or certain candidates are elected. Um, so I think that my generation is much more politically involved, I would say, for a younger for a young generation, obviously right now, than we've seen in other generations in the past. Gen Z is expected to have very high turnout this election year. They made up 10% of the electorate in 2018. So uh, we're expected to increase our electorate size um, a little bit uh, with people turning 18. But uh, my generation, I'd say, is probably much more engaged than previous generations around this time just because of how much is impacting us and also the issues of gun control, which are very important to obviously students across mm-hmm. this country yeah, um, and a couple of other things. That kind of leads into wanting to talk about the early voting numbers, which I have found absolutely staggering. You know, the, the little engine that could weigh out in the Pacific Ocean, Hawaii surpassed with their early voting and their mail-in voting already the number of votes that they had cast total in 2016, as did the big state of Texas, which Mm -hmm. I think is a encouraging sign and a positive sign. But I say that as, you know, a a biased Democrat who thinks that Trump is a fascist. You, someone who just looks at the data and you're able to put aside any of your beliefs and your bias and just look at the numbers, what do you get from these early voting numbers across all states that are, that are, have, I think every state has beaten their previous record, but Texas has already had 100, over a hundred percent of the votes that they had in 2016. What do you say to that? What is that a positive thing for Biden? Is that a positive thing for Trump? How do you uh, perceive that? There's always those people that type, try to point out party registration data as sort of, um, an indicator as to how a certain candidate will perform based off the early voting results. Sure. And that's never really, you know, the most accurate way to go about it. There's a bunch of people across this country who don't know how to change their party registration or haven't changed it. There are a number of Republican states like Kentucky, which has more registered Democrats than Republicans, but they voted for Trump by over 20% in 2016. So um, I wouldn't look at party registration. I'd look at turnout alone just because uh, I said this in one of my videos, the general rule of thumb is always if turnout is high, the Democratic Party does better. There is yes. really no way that the Republican Party could say um, the increased turnout in Texas is going to benefit them because what we've seen is that we act there actually isn't a silent majority. I think that well that was proven in 2016. There wasn't a silent majority in terms of the uh, election results versus the polling averages. They weren't too far off. Um, but looking at this election, 
in the past four years, I have not seen one silent Trump supporter. I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> if that's a thing that other Americans have seen, but for me personally, um, it seems as if there are probably an equal amount of people who keep their political beliefs to themselves, but there's definitely a lot more outward support towards Trump. We've seen his merch shop, which sells baby attire and, you know, cup holders and a number of things that you wouldn't necessarily see on a regular campaign. Um, and a lot more people are much more comfortable with Donald Trump as a candidate and supporting him. Um, so with these early voting numbers, what I think is the Democratic Party is going to do very well. Um, I've committed to moving the state of Texas over a characterization to being tilt for the Republicans based off the early voting numbers themselves. Like I said, increased turnout always benefits. Them. Yeah, real quick, what is that? What is that numerically based on? If you if you put it into the tilt category, what is the percentage that it is now within uh, striking distance for for Biden? I'd say a percentage. I'd say oh, wow. just a, a small a small bump up from the polls. I mean, he's only up by one. Yeah. Trump is only up by one. He was up by twelve four years ago. So that should be very scary for Trump. And every single year, regardless of the year you look at. The polls always overestimate Republicans in Texas. So if he's only up by one, I'd be very worried yeah. if I was on the Trump campaign because that's a lot of electoral votes that he can't afford to lose. Yeah. One thing I'm going to differ from what you just said, uh, politely differ from, from what you just said, is I have encountered a number of, I won't say they're silent majority, but the silent Trump voters, the people who aren't wearing the MAGA hats and the people who aren't out there clowning themselves. But they did vote for Trump and they're probably unchanged and will vote for him uh, again on Tuesday, if, if of course, if they haven't already. And I, I think that that's something that I've noticed among a lot of the baby boomer generation. Uh, fortunately, neither of my parents are, are Trump supporters, nor are their, their partners or prospective circles. But outside of that, the kind of periphery, you know, I ask them, I say, is such and such, you know, our old neighbor, do you think they're a Trump supporter? And I can tell by the way that my parents answer my question that these people are, in fact, Trump supporters, but they don't have the signs. They don't have the hats and, and things like that. So I, I'm curious about that as now as a Pennsylvanian. I was a Californian until just a few months ago. Do you think that specifically in regards to 2016 between Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, that there are enough votes to, I don't want to say win back, you know, the, the blue wall or anything like that, because that's kind of cliche. But those three states specifically were the biggest shocks of, of 2016. How do you think this quote unquote rust belt is standing at this point with what's reflected in the polls now, as opposed to how it was reflected and then the results were in 2016? Well, I think the Democratic Party should be pretty okay with where they stand in the Rust Belt. Um, th those states were obviously very shocking, even to Republicans. Um, the Trump campaign had internal numbers in Wisconsin on the day of the election, and they went on Fox News and said, we're up in Wisconsin, but still people didn't believe them. And obviously internal numbers are never supposed to be the most accurate indicators. Those are supposed to be skewed towards one way or the other. And they did expect to win Wisconsin on election day. And that was one of the only accurate indicators that we saw in that state throughout the entire campaign season. Okay. Um, but but this these three states in particular, they voted for Obama heavily. Obama made these states much bluer than traditionally. Every Democrat has had an issue with winning them. I mean, Clinton wasn't even able to win all of them by uh, a, a very solid margin. It was still within single digits. And and Kerry and Gore didn't didn't win them overwhelmingly either. They they did well, but it was very close. Yeah, yeah. I think Gore was within 
a percentage in Wisconsin in 2000. It was very close. These races have always been close. And I think it was just the oversight from the Clinton campaign that lost these three states in particular. But this time, I think that Biden's campaign has done a number of things that would put them in a very favorable position to win these three states. And there are a number of voters that we've seen that were probably Obama, Obama, Trump voters. And we've actually seen in polling data and um, looking at those numbers, it shows that roughly 50% of the you know, Trump to uh, Obama to Trump voters are still voting for Trump. But then there's around that 30 to 40% that says they're probably voting for Biden this time around. And then another 10% block that either just isn't voting or is still undecided. So Trump can't afford to lose really any of his support from 2016. Sure. And I think Biden's campaign has done a really good job at winning over winning back some of those traditional Democrats, those Obama voters that voted for Trump on the issue of the economy or immigration or whatever it might be. Follow you, your real account and your personal account, and you're pretty open about being a Biden supporter. But when it comes to what you put on the Let's Talk election videos, you are very data-driven, and you're very clear about that. And you have a good bedside manner when it comes to presenting uh, the Republican viewers that you have with the realities that they have to face, as you are with the Democratic viewers that you have with the realities that they have to face. Have you experienced people calling you out for you know, being biased because of your, your support for the Democratic candidate? And if so, how have you handled that? Well, I always say, because I'm a human, there's always going to be some inherent bias in my videos. I've never said that I'm 100% unbiased. My personal beliefs, as much as I try to put them aside, there is a very small chance that it does interject and it does come out sometimes. And I do address that. And I always tell people that I still as an American, have my own opinion about the politics. I have my own opinion about who I want to win, who I would vote for if I was able to vote. But then when I'm looking at the election channel that I put up, I don't find any personal gain by lying to my viewers sure. or intentionally attacking another candidate. What I put out there is based 99% of the time based off numbers. And I always say I don't like to argue with numbers, even if I don't personally agree with it. I mean, I saw a poll from Iowa yesterday that has Trump up 7%. He has uh, that poll has Trump up by the same margin as 2016. And as much as I would say, you know, I personally don't trust this um, and, and I don't want this to be right, I can't ignore it because of my own personal beliefs. So I sort of address it as I have my own opinion. It's on my personal social media. I don't put it on my election channel. And the idea that someone who runs an election channel can't have their own opinion about an election that will directly impact them in their future isn't something that I like to agree with whatsoever. So right. I sort of just say, you know, I will have my opinion, but you guys won't hear it unless you go dive into my personal social media. Right. All right. Well, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire here and ask you for some predictions. We're recording this for transparency on the first in the morning. So as we've seen in 2020, anything can happen in 48 hours. But as it stands now, if you had to make the prediction, if the election were held today, as you like to say in your videos, Ethan. I assume that you predict that the Democrats keep the House, but how many seats do you predict them picking up, if any? Um, I'd say they'd pick up the states of Arizona, Colorado, Maine, North Carolina, and I'm a little bit iffy about Georgia and Iowa at this moment. So I'd say if I was to bet on it, four seats, losing one in Alabama. Oh, you're talking about the Senate? You're talking about the Senate? Oh, you're talking about... I thought she moved on to the Senate. Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll do the Senate first and then we'll, we'll go to the House. But yeah, as you were. Uh, yeah. So sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know. how I. <laughs> You're excited, but, man. Uh, I'm excited, too. It's OK. It's OK. I love this shit. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the Senate looking pretty good for the Democrats. I mean, the House looks much better, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, like I said, the Senate probably will see a 50-50 tie unless the Democrats outperform where they're currently at. I think the problem with the Georgia runoff elections is that if Biden wins the presidency, which it looks like he's on track to do, there will be that initial Republican uh, wave back. I mean, every time we have an incumbent president who um, is unpopular, and I'm sure that Biden will start off with a pretty okay approval rating, it doesn't matter. As long as there is an incumbent party, the opposition party will always have more energy in terms of turning out voters. So um, I think the Georgia special election and the Georgia regular election can very well go on to a runoff. But if Biden wins the election, it looks a lot more grim for Democrats than if Trump wins because they won't have that same amount of energy. Yeah. They won't really have a an incumbent to oppose. Sure. There was something that I read months ago, maybe a year ago at this point. Chuck Schumer flew to Montana to meet with Bollock to convince him to drop out of the presidential race and, and run for Senate. I believe he made the same trip to Colorado before that for, for Hickenlooper. Things are looking good for Hickenlooper, not as safe for uh, Steve Bullock in, in Montana. What are your thoughts on that race in particular? Because every poll that I see does not have anything shaded blue. It's, it's a light red. It's a leaning or likely red. But I've yet to see him up. What, what are your thoughts on Montana? Well, Steve Bullock can't run for another term. So if he was to do anything, it would be run for Senate. And what we saw in 2018 was that John Tester, despite voting against President Trump and the Republicans numerous times, even in Supreme Court nominations or just regular court nominations, he still was liked by the people of Montana. Yeah. And I think that a lot of Democrats are really hoping that because Donald Trump has decreased in terms of his support in Montana by 10, 12 percent, that that would be enough to push over Steve Bullock. If this was 2016, we would have seen Steve Bullock, even in this race, lose by probably double digits if this was the same environment. But it's not. We have a president who isn't necessarily approved of in Montana, which is actually growing in population and growing more Democratic, uh, might I add. Um, so I think that Steve Bullock, while he isn't favored to win, is doing very well and better than any Democrat could have. Um, and I think the Democrats are really counting on one lean Republican race to go to uh, the Democratic Party, whether that's Kansas or Montana or South Carolina. They're really banking on one state to be out of the ordinary. And 538's forecast is never 100% correct. There were likely Democratic seats in 2018 that went to the Republicans, for example, Florida. So it's not out of the question just because the forecast shows you know, a lean Republican characterization or a couple of polls have uh, Steve Daines ahead. I think that uh, Steve Bullock could be okay with where he is. I don't think he's the favorite to win, but I wouldn't discount him. Yeah, and let's move to the House now. Um, the Democrats have a clear majority at this point. Highly unlikely that they lose that. Do they gain anything, do you think? I do think so, yeah. Um, every election year, regardless really of who's in office, the Democratic Party gains seats. Like I said, increased turnout turns into a uh, higher percent chance that the Democrats do better. And in 2016, despite Donald Trump winning the election, the Democrats picked up two seats in the Senate and six seats in the House. And we are working with the same exact map from 2016. Now, it's a lot more favorable to the Democrats, and I understand that their majority is pretty strong, but we are also probably, we are going to see probably increased turnout in districts that uh, are traditionally competitive, that the Democratic Party is going to need to rely on this presidential turnout in order to win. In 2018, they flipped a number of seats, but they came very close 
Um, they have certain seats in California where they were within a couple percentages but lost. They had a couple of seats across the South that they came within a couple percentages percentage points and lost. I think Georgia's 7th District is a perfect representation of that. Um, so the Democrats, I do think, will probably gain single digits in terms of their gain, uh, maybe six, seven seats, but still gaining seats off an already momentous uh, midterm year is pretty strong for the Democrats. Right. And the moment of truth. Who takes the White House? And on top of that, Ethan, I'm curious what your choice is, if you have one, for what the bellwether state could be on election night or the day after the election. Hmm. That's kind of tricky. Um, I guess when we talk about a bellwether state, they're indicators of how the rest of the country is going. Um and I'd say actually one of the more democratic states, uh, Biden's going to win the popular vote. That's without a doubt. Yes, yes. Um, and Trump I should say, I'm sorry to interrupt. I said bellwether. I meant to say tipping point state. I, I confused oh, okay. my vernacular. Yeah, sorry about that. Oh, good. So the tipping point state I'd say is Pennsylvania. I'd say that's my best bet because it is 20 electoral votes. It has a much higher chance of being the tipping point. And for both candidates, I mean, um, when you look at 538's forecast, they have this thing called the winding snake uh, to victory, and it shows all of the states that vote to the left of the tipping point and to the right of the tipping point. And at this point, Pennsylvania is a tipping point, and I do agree with that. I do expect a number of swing states to vote to the left of Pennsylvania, and therefore Biden's victory in Pennsylvania will put him over the top. Um, I think it's just interesting, though, because Pennsylvania is a state where, you know, Biden always mentions he's from Pennsylvania, and this is a state that the Democratic Party has allocated tens of millions of dollars in. And while that effort has made Wisconsin and Michigan return to the likely Democratic column, according to 538's margin, I mean, Biden's winning Wisconsin by eight and Michigan by nine. Um, in Pennsylvania, I find it a little bit trickier for Democrats. Trump has tapped into the white working class vote there and won uh, in areas that Republicans had never won before. And Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania was such an upset for Democrats because they held the DNC there. Um, they had spent tens of millions in Pennsylvania in 2016, despite only sending, you know, spending 1.6 million in Wisconsin and six, five, six million in Michigan. So those states, okay, they could understand why they lost them. They didn't really fund that much money into it. But Pennsylvania was a real shocker, and I think this state will be the tipping point, um, obviously for both candidates. Um, and it could end up being one of the closer races we see that evening, depending on how Trump and Biden do. Yeah, and I'm sitting here in Pennsylvania right now, and I can tell you in my little city, it's very Biden. But surprisingly, there's a decent number of Trump signs in Lancaster City. When you get outside of this urban area, it is it, it, it flips. You see Biden signs, but it's yeah. but certainly in the minority compared to the number of Trump flags and signs. Um, but yeah. there's also a lot less people out there. So one thing I can say for certain about Pennsylvania is that people have or, you know, they're mobilized and, and they're enthused and they seem to be excited. And it seems as if pretty much everybody that I know and, and the number of people in Lancaster City have already voted because dropping off your ballot here was made very, very easy, thankfully. Hopefully there's no, you know, chicanery yeah. and, and, and nonsense around when those are counted or the validity of those votes. That's a whole other thing. The feeling of dread that I have is uncertainty, of course, a Trump victory, but also that there's going to be people that act out violently because they don't have the patience to kind of see how this plays out. Trump is not favored to win, but he still could win. And therefore, it could be a lot closer than a lot of these polls are saying, just like we saw in 2016. Is there something that you're hoping to see? And this this would be my last question for you. Is there something that you're hoping to see on election night 
in terms of a state going one way or the other that would put you at ease of how, how long things mm-hmm. are going to take to be counted from the mail-in va- ballots and everything. Is there something that you hope to see on election night that will help you sleep a little bit better? Yeah, so I don't think I'll be sleeping till 4 a.m. on election <laughs> night, but if I was the average American, I'd say you're probably going to stay up till 12 at most. And I think that the state that I'm looking forward to looking at the results early is Florida because they've already started counting their ballots uh-huh. and uh, they are expected to count 99% of their ballots by the end of election night. 99% of all of them that have been cast. So when I'm looking at Florida, I'm looking at uh, this state and which direction it's going. And if it goes to Trump, well, then the election will be drawn on a little bit longer. Yeah. But if it goes to Biden, it's game over. It's not necessarily game over if it goes to Trump. So I'm looking at Florida's results and I'm looking at which direction it's going. That'll how that'll be how uh, I notice if the election is going to be a little bit longer than expected or called early in the evening. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm looking at Florida, <clears throat> obviously Pennsylvania because I live here, and North Carolina because it's on the East Coast, so the polls are going to be closing earlier than other places just by default of where it sits on the map. And if that goes, then I think that's a better sign for things as, as they head west. So we'll see. One thing for sure, I'll, I'll be watching. Sure. Where, where are you going to be watching? I'm going to be – well, I'm not going to be like live streaming anything for the election. Um I'm going to be watching it from my house and looking at CNN and just looking at what the pundits say about it because I really, I mean, I've been covering this race for three years now. Mm-hmm. And while it may be expected that I provide my own commentary to the election results, I'd like to take it easy for a night, um, especially election night, and spend it with my family. Wow. What a tremendous young man. Incredibly articulate and intelligent. Thank you, Ethan, for coming back on the Berman Hour podcast. Again, everyone check out Let's Talk Elections on YouTube. That's Ethan's channel where he breaks down polling. He breaks down data, the good, the bad, the consistent, the inconsistent. And I found his insight incredibly helpful throughout this election cycle. And I know that you will, too, going forward. So, again, Let's Talk Elections on YouTube. Thanks again to everyone who has checked out the new Divided Heaven song. That means the world. And I will leave everyone with this. I would say the majority of people have already made their choice. A number of those people have already actually cast their vote. You have a Democratic ticket that is certainly not perfect, but is predicated on helping people. Predicated on being more inclusive. And you have a Republican ticket that calls people enemies, that calls people losers, that calls people fucking terrorists. Me, as an anti-fascist, have been labeled a fucking terrorist by Donald Trump. Not only is that bad presidential leadership, that's bad leadership. And if you're unable to see how entirely un-American that is, how entirely unethical that is, then I have no spot for you. But I do welcome you back. All signs point to a Biden victory tonight. I hope that's the case. And if that happens, Trump supporters are welcome back with open arms because whether we like it or not, we're fellow citizens. If for some reason there's another shock and there's a Trump victory tonight, we all know that we will continue to be marginalized 
and portrayed as the enemy. As this fucking con man will continue to strengthen and spotlight and incite the voices of the craziest, stupidest, and most racist, vile people that we know. I don't think Biden and Harris are perfect, far from it. But it's a couple of steps in the right direction, as opposed to continue walking backwards. So I thank everyone for supporting the Berman Hour podcast. If you're not a political person and you're just here for the musicians that I talk to or people from the music world, I respect that. But I hope that this podcast finds you well. And I hope that everybody is able to vote safely. No matter who they're voting for, I hope they're able to vote safely. And I wish everyone a swift and nonviolent and peaceful election night, election week, election month, inauguration day, inauguration week, and transition into hopefully a Biden presidency. All right. I'll see you all next time. Thank you very much.